I just had this great epiphany that I was a collage, that I had been cut up, glued back together in a new way, and that I was a changed person and that I had become my art. That was a very healing thought to have. Because there's a the feeling of being damaged and being sick, being scarred, which are all really negative thoughts. But when I thought of it in terms of just being reassembled, like a collage, to take one beautiful picture and turn it into a different beautiful picture in just a transformative kind of way, it was really healing to think about myself that way. Welcome to the Gentle Finds podcast. Today is a special episode because I'm interviewing someone who I've known my entire life. She was at my birth and she's just one of my aunties. Her name is Stephanie Pearson and she's got an amazing life story that I wanted to share with you because I think that it can help so many people. Stephanie, hi. Thank you for joining. Thank you for inviting me. This is so fun. I'm so proud of you. Oh, (laughs) thank you. I'm so happy to have you. And who knew that your life would turn into what it has? Did you ever know that you would become an artist? No, no, I didn't. I mean, I always liked art as a child, as children do. That was really fun and arts and crafts. And I've been a great appreciator of art and going to museums and galleries and um, being a viewer and a patron, but I never thought I'd actually become a working artist showing and selling my work. That's a fun late in life surprise. Yeah. So originally you were basically working at a school, married the love of your life, had two children, and you were living just what, you know, an ideal kind of life. Your street, I won't give the location away, but in, in in the group of friends, it was kind of where everybody wanted to live, where Stephanie lived. People even bought houses to live next to you. <laughs> yeah. It's a nice little dead-end street, and with tree-lined dead-end street. And dead-end streets really lend themselves towards good neighbor relations and everybody hanging out in the street, you know, without the cars in the way. It just is a really easy place to commune and live and play and, and be a community together, so... Yeah. You really were living a great life. I mean, with all of its ups and downs, with great neighbors and a pool across the street and the tire swing from your tree and and just the parties at your house. It was just a wonderful sense of community that you created. And then your life took turns that unveiled this new side of you, right? At what point do you think that you knew that art was the path? I'd say just three or four years ago that that emerged. As with all things in life, when you look back with perspective, you see how it was all being set up or how it was all unfolding, though you didn't realize it was unfolding when it was, till you look back on it. Because it was Mm -hmm. through a lot of tragedy that, you know, I found this passion and this vision with this art. And it's been very healing. Your house is this kind of quaint little house at the end of the cul-de-sac you had a hot tub and a garden and a little garage and you now have an art studio back there in the garage the garage ended up getting renovated to be a family room because our house was small and we needed a place for the overflow and for the kids and so it was it was the boys hang out it was the band practice area it was video game headquarters it was yeah um, 
my husband's computer office for a while. Yeah, and it never, ever occurred to me it was going to be my art studio. What was the moment of your life where you would say that there was a new chapter that opened? Like you were living that chapter for a long time and everything was stable. It was. It was really stable as much as life can be stable, but it was really stable. And I'd been married for 35 years and my kids were growing up. My youngest son, our youngest son was in finishing college and Greg and I were looking forward to our empty nest and our future and retiring and traveling and all those things that you look forward to when you're done raising your kids and working your work. And we went on vacation. Um, It was the day after Christmas and he so generously invited me to spend a week at the beach and we'd never done anything like that before. And off we went. And after a beautiful day of riding bikes at the beach and having lunch and having a wonderful, beautiful day, he had a heart attack in our hotel room and um, died there. And it was very shocking. It was it was utterly traumatic. And my whole world just fell out from under my feet. I was away from home. I was away. I was in a strange place. I was away from all my familiars, from my people, from my children. And it just it just was an incredibly, incredibly traumatic, horrible event. It put me into a very, very dark place, a dark hole of grief that just kept getting deeper and deeper. And um, and that went on for a while. And then in conjunction with that, previously to that, um, 10 years before that, I had been diagnosed with breast cancer. And I had gone through a lumpectomy and radiation and treatment for breast cancer. That was very traumatic. I might have to go back and say, if I'm really going to look at this, like when did something shift? That probably was the beginning of a shift. Yeah. But you had Greg through that. I did. And um, and so I healed and I went on, though I, you know, that changed me and cracked me open a little bit. And then, so now we're 10 years later and... Greg dies while we're on vacation and I'm home and I'm, you know, helping my son get through his last year of college and I'm going to my job that I didn't, you know, I didn't feel like doing any of that. But anyway, I got back into the task of living and, and taking care of myself and my family yeah, and grieving a lot. And after a few long, dark years, when I just started feeling like, okay, I need to get back to living. I need to start peeking out from this grief blanket and find out what's new for me in my life. Literally, I would say the next day, my doctor called to tell me that something showed up on my mammogram and I needed to go have some further testing, which I did and subsequently got diagnosed with breast cancer for a second time. And um, at the time I felt it was the breast that was over my heart this time, the other breast. And at the time I told my doctor, I know it's my grief. And I felt like I dealt with my emotional grief, but now I had to deal with my physical grief. And so another 
series of treatments, another lumpectomy. This time I had to have chemotherapy along with radiation, which was a long, year-long, grueling experience that really, I really would have been okay if I died then because it was really hard and I felt like, I, why am I still living anyway? I've lost my love and I've had a good life and I have no regrets and I'm okay with dying. But luckily that didn't happen. And I climbed, climbed my way through that. And I was coming, now I'm coming out of that going, okay, seriously, really, I need to get back to, to living and making sense of my new life and what has all this taught me. And, and so it was the end of that year. It was New Year's. New Year's is always, you know, that time to sort of start a new journey, dust out the old stuff. And yeah. so I'm like, okay, that's it. Now I'm healthy again. I'm ready. I'm going to get back into the world. And I went out one evening and ran into a friend and she was on her way to a party. And I invited myself along to crash the party. I just was feeling like I need to get out. I wasn't invited. But I said, could I come with you? And she said, sure, why not? So I went to this small little cocktail party and very unexpectedly and with a fun twist of fate, I met a really lovely man there. We struck up a conversation that lasted for hours and he was divorced and he had just been through cancer treatment. And we had that in common and we shared our stories and and there was just a lot of chemistry between us. And uh, we subsequently started a relationship that surprised us both, incredibly surprised us both in our later years and to, you know, have lost our marriages in different ways. Mm-hmm. And he was an artist. So then I got really immersed in the art world. He did art every day. We were constantly at galleries and museums and art openings and and hanging around with other artists and art became this really central focus in our lives that we shared and it was delightful it was really 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 fun and his art was fabulous and then he started nudging me about doing art and saying Mm. really thought that there was something I needed to express and that there was some art in me that needed to be released and I was very resistant I'm like no 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 I don't yeah this is your thing yeah this is your thing not my thing And But he was really good at just nudging and encouraging. And so I had just recently received a big stack of magazines that someone was giving away. And I love magazines. I just Mm. love the glossy paper. I love the pictures. What do you do with magazines? They're so beautiful. And then you look at them and then what? Then they sit there and collect dust. And that's why this person gave me their magazines. And I said, okay, I think I'll try some collage. I like cut and paste I love paper. And so I started playing around and cutting up paper and I had no idea what I was trying to, what images I was going to come up with. And I started playing around and I started gluing on different things with different kind of glues. And I spent a lot of money and ruined a lot of things and made a big mess and got very frustrated. And I kept saying, this is your thing, not my thing. This isn't fun. And I have six bottles of glue. They're all stupid. And, and I love this, <laughs> this beautiful thing I cut out of the magazine. Now I just ruined it. I have to throw it away. And he just kept encouraging and, and nudging and saying, you're just doing your research. You're just learning. So I kept going under his, um, you know, his mentoring and his loving enthusiasm. And then I don't know, but there was a day when I glued a few things together 
and it was fabulous. And there was this aha moment of like, oh my God, this looks pretty cool. That's so awesome. It was really fun. And he was so excited. And then a friend came over and she was so excited about it. Like, what, what are you doing? I can't believe you're doing this. And she had a friend who ran an art gallery downtown. And so after I made a few um, pieces, she said, let me take him to the art gallery and get this woman's opinion. So, which was really nice of her to do. And so she took some of my work and she went away and she came back and said, she'll take three in the next show. And so, and I was blown away. But so I had my first chance just right at first, the first place we go and they're like, yes. And so I had... Um, so my collages in this, um, lovely gallery downtown and actually sold one of them, which completely blew amazing. Me. And then so I started exciting. doing more and then the art gallery gave me another opportunity to put some art in a, a show, a cute story. When I was there, the woman, the gallery manager asked me if I, my pieces are tend to be women, which I call my paper dolls. She asked me if I did any images with animals. And I said, no, I don't. I just, just pretty much women. And she said, oh, too bad. Because our next show is going to be Animalia with an animal theme. And if you did animals, you could be in the show. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I do animals. <laughs> I just forgot. Yeah, did I say yeah. I didn't? Oh, yeah. I said I animals. <laughs> yeah. Oh, animals. Yeah. So I went home and it was like, oh, my God, animals. Like, Okay, that's like new to me. And so then I just turned my animals into women and did some animals and they were in the show and sold some more collages. So subsequently, I've had I've had my pieces in many art shows. I, you know, I've been declined a lot as I've had to learn to be, you know, a little about rejection but I've also had a lot of opportunities and a really nice reception in a lot of places and it's fun to hear people's comments or or what people see when they see my work. Tommy and I had the wonderful opportunity of being in many art galleries together for shows in group shows where both of our works were accepted and that was so fun. So romantic. It was romantic and he was so proud and, and encouraging and and my biggest cheerleader. And that was a really, and then all of a sudden it was like, what am I doing? There's this new man in my life. And now we're, I'm in an art show with him. And it's like, what is this life I'm living? And then his cancer, unfortunately, came back. It came out of remission. And after quite a few hospitalizations and failed treatments, he passed away. And there was grief again. There was the dark grief hole. And, um, you know, we had time to prepare where I didn't have time with my husband to prepare for such a thing. And it was very sudden and shocking. And because both of us had been through cancer, we understood how fragile life is and temporary and that we both felt like we were, you know, many people don't survive that and that we were gifted with more time and when we started our relationship together, we we talked about that and we knew that we didn't know how much time we had together. We were just going to squeeze every bit of joy and love out of it, which we did. That's beautiful. And, um, you know, it was a brief five-year relationship, but it was yeah. a lifetime as well. 
and we traveled and shared art and and everything. And so I had time to prepare for the loss, but nothing really prepares you mm-hmm. for for that. You know, you think, okay, I can, I'm ready. I can handle this. We made our peace. We had our goodbyes. He was suffering a lot. It was, I wanted him to not be in pain and sick anymore, but you could just never really prepare for that. And so, you know, I was incredibly crushed and sad. And then just two weeks after he passed, I got a call from my doctor again saying something looked funny in my mammogram. No. And I needed to have more tests. Oh, my God. And breast cancer had come back again. And That's too much. Yeah, it was too much. And what was curious about it is the three times I had breast cancer, they were three different, entirely different types of cancer. They wow. weren't recurrences. And so because of the history, because of the previous radiations that I couldn't have again, uh, mastectomy was really my only treatment option. Mm. And this time it must have been very scary because it must have hit differently because you had just a few days ago witnessed the worst case scenario is cancer. cancer. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, and it was COVID. So now I'm going in a hospital. It was, it was just, I don't know. I was having an out-of-body experience, I guess. Totally. How else do you do it? very traumatic and it was very bizarre and I just was shattered. And I had to kind of, I had to put the grief away a little bit so I could take care of myself. It's like, okay, yes, that happened. And there's all this. Tommy has two lovely daughters and all the other people who loved and cared for him and his sister who was in Scotland and couldn't come to be with him because of COVID and so many people who are suffering and but it was like well I have to kind of put that away and then I just has to be about me right now because I had to get through that and be strong for myself so I had the surgery I had a double mastectomy and then there was you know back to that physical healing there was lots of healing to be done and and that went on for quite a while I'd say for six months I felt really shut off shut down disconnected from joy and art like how could good come back you had already gotten your window of good and then that was taken away but I also felt I mean I just did not feel any creativity or any any ability to just feel anything really Part of that, I wonder if it's because Tommy was gone. It was like, it was your thing with him. I wonder if it was, you had to discover it by yourself and own it. You know, if he hadn't been there, I could just hear him saying, come on, come on, let's do this. You know, get your scissors, I'll get my paintbrushes. And it's like, I don't want to do this without Mm -hmm. him. I mean, everything we shared was gone. And then here we come now. So that was in the fall. So now we're coming into the end of the year. Now we're coming to New Year's again. And that time when it's time to, you know, kind of look at what you want to toss away and look at what you want to manifest in your life and a new start. And I thought, okay, really, I've reinvented myself once. I can reinvent myself again. I mean, what's my choice? It's like I need to live and And this is a curious journey I'm on that really I couldn't have predicted. 
And so I told myself that when the year came that I was going to go sit at my table in my art studio and I was going to force myself, I was going to pray for inspiration and force myself to just start doing something. Even though I didn't feel like it, it was really excruciating. And the thing I did the most was just cut magazines up. That was easy. It just, that was more mechanical, but that got me started and just touching the paper again, using the scissors again, looking at images, thinking of color and shape and form and stuff. And, and I was really praying to Tommy and asking for inspiration. And I thought, it's really in his honor I need to do this. If I let it die now, that just seemed really tragic. Yeah, because he was the one who inspired it to begin with. It was important to him to see this in you. And one of his friends sent me a lovely message and said, while he, Tommy, created a lot of beautiful art in this world and left a legacy of art that's hanging on many walls in people's homes, he said his greatest legacy is that he turned you on to being an artist. I love that. And I thought that was such a lovely thing to say. And I thought, okay, well, then maybe I need to to honor this legacy. And so I really was praying to him and mostly just saying, okay, really, you got me into this now. Help me. Help me. Yeah. And give me your artist magic. You're not yes, using it's it. It's like, okay. And I just, and I really, I talked out loud. I just was like, come on. And I got a phone call out of the blue from a woman I know who was opening a pop-up art gallery for six months in downtown, and she was filling each month with an artist, and she asked me if I would like to have one of the months to show my artwork. I couldn't believe it. It's like, you're calling me and asking me and giving me a whole gallery to hang all the art can be mine on the walls. Of course, I said yes. And I was very excited. That would have been like seven months from our conversation. And then I hung up. I was super excited. And then I thought, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, I don't have any art. I, I just committed to a show and I haven't been making any art. And now I have to make art. Or I have to call her up and say, no, and I wasn't going to do that. And so that, there was my gift, my inspiration, the answer to my prayer. So I started, it was hard. It was a lot of work. It's like, it's mm-hmm. fun sometimes and sometimes it's yeah. not fun, and you, but you have to do it. You know, you have to show up and you have to do the thing. And so I just started, but I was excited about the possibility. And then I had agreed with the woman that I could show Tommy's art as well at the art show. So it was going to be a joint show of his art and my art, which looks really beautiful together as we did. And so I started creating and the flow came back and I really put together some beautiful pieces. And at one point when I was sitting out there and I was cutting up these images and I was cutting women, you know, like I'll tear a woman out of, I use a lot of fashion magazines, you know, and then I'll cut her head off and cut her arms off. And I was doing a lot of breasts Mm. A lot of my images have breasts in them for obvious reasons. And so I was cutting up the breasts and cutting up everything. I just had this great epiphany that I was a collage. That I had been cut up, glued back together in a new way. And that I was a changed person and that I had become my art. And it was just kind of trippy, but... That That gave me a lot of, that was a very healing thought because there's a, the feeling of being damaged and being sick of being damaged, of being scarred, which are all really negative thoughts. But when I thought of it in terms of just being reassembled like a collage, 
to take one beautiful picture and turn it into a different beautiful picture in just a transformative kind of way. It was really healing to think about myself that way instead of feeling damaged. Yeah, because in the end, it's Mm -hmm. beautiful. And it just also, there's a Japanese term and technique, right? I know this. Yes. I think about that a lot too. Yes. Go ahead. Yes, I love it. And Tommy and I had actually, I had just learned about it. And Tommy and I were at a friend's digging some plants up in the garden. And he accidentally broke one of her beautiful pots that was on her patio. And it was like, uh uh-oh. And then she said, oh, that's okay. That was just the first gift my husband gave me on our first date when we went to this artist studio. (laughs) It was like, uh uh-oh. She was very gracious about it. Like, it's no big deal. But then she tells the story and it's like, don't feel guilty oh my god yeah don't feel bad (laughs) and she kind of tucked it away in the garden she was leaving the next day to go on a european vacation and we went home and he just felt horrible about it and i said i said let's go back tomorrow when she's not home we'll get that and we'll do the kintsugi We'll consume We'll glue it back together. And I told him about this stuff. And so we went over there, you know, very stealthily and snuck around in the bushes and got the pot and washed it. And then we did that. We glued it back together and then painted the seams. He painted the seams with gold paint. And then we put it back on their porch with a note. And they were so thrilled and so excited about it. So then I just, at this time, you know, that I was doing the collages and thinking that I'd become a collage. I was just thinking about Kintsugi in terms of of that in my life. And that the thought that something that appeared to be damaged when it gets put back together and then the seams are painted gold, it becomes stronger and more beautiful than it was before. And that thought of wabi-sabi, finding perfection in the imperfection. There's so much to unpack. I just, you've been through so much. <laughs> it's, it's a lot. I mean, I, yeah, like just hearing the story, I'm like, well, where do we, do we focus on the mastectomy? Do we focus on, yeah, yeah it's just amazing. And through it all, you've been so strong. And I think it's interesting in the beginning, you were saying, oh, just forget it. I've, I've had a good life. And this is this can just end because it's miserable. And then after Tommy, I would have thought it was almost worse because of what you'd been through losing two loves of your life and witnessing Tommy's decline. But almost like the artworks that you're describing, it does sound like you found some new strength. And you said it's hard. And I think of people trying to exercise and training for a marathon and it sounds a little bit like that like you have no desire to get out there Mm -hmm. and go out to the garage and do the artwork but to honor Tommy you knew that it was the only way forward I think Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. you needed to patch yourself back together Mm -hmm. yeah I really did it is a lot of work and I think every artist writer musician painter sculptor would tell you that it's It's a lot of work and it's not always fun, but there's some inner drive, some inner need that you need to write these words on paper. You need to play these chords on the piano. Mm -hmm. You need to put this color on paper and you need to do it and it doesn't always feel good and it can be frustrating. I mean, that's one of the things that I've really had to learn and accept and be patient with is that it's not like it's all, you know, people say, oh, it must be really fun doing that. Oh, these are so fun. You must really have a lot of fun doing that. And it's like, yeah, no, not always. No, it always looks easy, right? It's not fun. But you have to, if you want to do it, 
you have to do it when it's not fun to mm-hmm. and be patient and let it emerge. And I think that was a lesson that I learned in my healing is you have to be patient and you have to do the hard work. You know, you have to have the treatments, take the medicine, do the physical therapy, do the things to get yourself back to, you know, health and well-being. And because, yeah, just just with an artwork, you want to snap your fingers and have it be done. And same right. with healing. Yeah, like, okay, yes. I just want to be well now. And I just yeah. and it's like, yeah, no, you're going to I went to physical therapy for a year. I was very disabled by the surgery and, and my arms and my strength. And, and I had to build that back up again. And in the same way, I had to build up my creativity and my artistic flow again. And it was a nice I was doing that simultaneously. Luckily, my art was something that was pretty pretty gentle on my arms. I wasn't, you know, carving granite or something that I probably wouldn't have been able to get back to, but it just kind of, it meshed together. And then when I had the epiphany that I had become a collage, it was just, there was a bit of joy and relief in that. And there's also an aspect to your story of finding a part of yourself that's so significant, such a pillar of who you are, later in life because I think so many people in their 20s expect to be fully grown you know you get to 18 even my my daughter who's four is like okay I don't need you anymore I'm done like I'm grown up now (laughs) and uh and you get to a certain point in life and you expect to be done and you expect to know who you are know what you're capable of and I have this vision of your life that way. You kind of were living in such a stable way and you kind of knew how everything was supposed to be and who you were. And then, yeah, this this detour happened. And then the bottom dropped out. Yeah. But it also is reassuring to people to hear, I'm sure. It's always nice to hear that somebody finds and discovers this piece of themselves, that there's more more to us. Yeah, and I think, you know, it did did surprise me that because – this happened later in my life. And you're right. When you're younger and you feel like I'll do this and this and this and this, and, this, and then I'll be all set and I'll have all, all my yeah. ducks in a row. And then I'm just going to live yeah. the good life. And, you know, most people who live any length of time realize that, that that's a foolish notion. But it was very fun to discover, like, the art. I was in my 60s. And I to discover that. something new and fun and fresh, you know, Because I think about when I was a little girl, being in your 60s was, you know, as old as the hills. And um, nobody did anything new or interesting in their 60s. It's not the same And it's just so, well, and it's so not true either. And it's not the same. And I do feel really excited about sharing that story with people who feel like they're their lives done. They had their kids, they had their marriage, they had their job, they had their adventures. And now, you know, the whole thought of being retired. And it's like, there's so much to still discover. We have so much about ourselves, all of us that we haven't even discovered or tapped into. And when you're very busy working and raising kids and cleaning the house and going to the grocery store and cooking the meals and worrying about making ends meet, it's really hard to be Mm -hmm. creative. You know, I realized that the timing was right in my life because I wasn't doing that. I had time. So I realized that it also was a perfect setup in my life because I had the space. I I turned the boys' playroom into my art studio and and I had so much more time to relax and create Mm -hmm. and be in that and I think 
you know, that that's an exciting prospect for people who are older and who are in a new phase of their life, who are retiring or empty nesters and, and can make time to tap Mm -hmm. back into that. Yeah. I think a lot of people in their middle age who are in that same situation, moms, you're sacrificing a lot of yourself, especially new moms are so shocked by this when they have a new baby. Where did the old me go and when will I meet her again? And yeah, you're consumed Uh with dinners and just making sure that everyone else's life Mm -hmm. goes along as it should. Yes, scaring the burden. But it's, you know, it's two parents that are exhausted, that are taking care of business from all ends of what it takes to keep a family going and a home going and keep everybody well and healthy. And it's, it's exhausting and there's not a lot of energy left to then sit down and. But even sharing your space Mm -hmm. with other people is something for your mental state. Your attention is focused on other people rather than internally on yourself. And so, yeah, it is. You finally had space in your life. The boys probably wouldn't have wanted you to turn Mm -hmm. that into an art studio when they were working on their band. Yeah, or their video game. No, And you need, you know, I realize you need a space that's set up with all your supplies at all times so that you can plunk into that at any moment. Lots of mornings I'd get up in my nightgown and get a cup of coffee and go sit at my work table and hours would go by and I'd still be in my nightgown. If you have to set it up and take it down every time, for example, yeah. if you're using your dining room table and you have to set all your supplies up and then it's dinner time and you have to put all your supplies away and then you have to set them up again, it's hard to be in the flow with that. And then you think, oh, I just don't I just don't have it in me to settle because then I'll have to take it all apart. Yeah. So I'm not going to do it. And I realized, you know, it's a luxury to have a space like a studio where you can have all your supplies spread out. I can be in the middle of creating something and walk away from it. Nobody's going to touch it, mess with it. No I don't have to move it. <laughs> and I just, no toddlers. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And I can just pop in and out whenever I, whenever I want. And that mm. has made a huge difference to have that space. And there's a quote on your website. You said you were working a lot with images of women. Mm-hmm. And there's a quote on your website that I saw that I just wanted to talk about. You say, my vision memory is replete with countless childhood hours, patiently and meticulously cutting out paper dolls. These childhood ventures helped my evolution, helped create the identity of the mature woman I am today. The grown woman now employs sharper scissors, has a sharper critical eye. The prepubescent, innocent images of my childhood are replaced by the sensual, slick, smooth visions of women found in the myriad of glossy magazines today. A single image presents itself to me and thus begins the inevitable search for its intuitive companions. This search is a kind of shuffling around of my subconscious. The act of cutting elements into pieces reveals the larger mystery of the female form, the female persona. When elements are separated from the original image, then reassembled, this random imagery creates a new history. So I was thinking about the act of cutting elements into pieces reveals the larger mystery of the female form, the female persona. And I was thinking about that, reading that, because to me in my life, you've been this strong woman model for what a woman should be and how we are in the world. And 
I was wondering how your idea of women and femininity or feminism, any of these concepts has been affected by your art or if you've had your ideas are in that art around women. Well, that's, that's a, a big, big question. question. I should have warned you about that one before. Let's go back to the mystery of women. I mean, it's a mystery. I don't know. I think, you know, I was raised, my mother during my childhood was divorced for a time. And so, and she was a very strong, intelligent woman. And that was a time when in my neighborhood, I had the only family that was divorced. Mm-hmm. Everyone else had a pretty traditional mom stayed at home and worked at home and dad went out into the workforce. And And um, so I had this model of this very strong, capable woman who was being both parents and working and handling it all. And she also was incredibly beautiful and looked like a model and was a fashion plate. And I was fascinated by clothing and nail polish and lipstick and all those things. And then when I went to college, I got into the women's studies department and that was a new, a new major, a new field to study in college. Mm -hmm. And I just became completely swept away by that at a time, you know, it's that juncture in your life where you're leaving your childhood behind and you're becoming your grown up self and you're becoming more worldly and educated. And it was just, you know, I'm so grateful that I was there at that time when that was, you know, the civil rights movement and the women's movement was all exploding and certainly set me on a trajectory into feminism and equality and civil rights and, you know, seeing women in more varied ways than my 50s and 60s upbringing had presented them to me, but also seeing in my mother you know, how she um, was in the world. But, and so that opened my mind up to women in all the ways that women are and can be and everything they do and could do and the possibilities of what is available. And, um, and so my, the images that I make, I don't know what's coming out of me when I make them. You know, I mean, I think women are incredibly beautiful, strong, mysterious, fascinating creatures. And so I put cut these pieces up and then I just start playing around with them. And then new these people emerge in my life. And I don't know who they're I don't know who's coming when I'm making the stuff. And sometimes I'm focused on little tiny pieces and parts and it's not till it's all laid out and pieced together that this being gets born I guess for lack of a better word that this creation comes through and it's like well hello (laughs) who are you nice to meet you and it's fun giving them names and and often I I feel very critical because I've the, I see it as a pieces. I don't see it as a whole for a long time because I've had to obsess about every little part of it. But when I walk away from it and take some distance and then come back and look at it again, like we were talking at the beginning with life, you step back, you get some perspective. But then when I come and I look at them again, I see this whole being. I see this image in this person and I just think they're all my subconscious coming out. Mm. Well, my son said that to me the other day he was looking I have a lot of them hanging on the wall in my art studio and he was looking at him and he said mom this is just all you 
I just see you in every single one of these things. Amazing. And I think it is just my subconscious. I mean, they're playful and they're fun, but they're also, you know, they're also deep and they're brave and they're a little damaged. Yeah. And you seal each one with a kiss. Is that I right? do. I do. So, yeah. So, um, funny because when I was growing up, I really did not like, you know, we all don't like our looks, right? There's something we don't like. And I just felt right. like my mouth and my teeth were too big. And so all the smiles when I was little, I had my lips shut and hiding my smile. And sometime a long time ago, um, I heard someone talking about beauty and they said that the thing you don't like the most when you're growing up about your features will end up being your best feature. And Mm. I think that's an interesting thought. And I thought about not liking my big smile and my big mouth, but I think that's true. And Mm -hmm. I love lipstick. Now you love it. Yeah. And so lips are in all my pieces for the most part, except for maybe every now and then, maybe one that doesn't have lips, but all my pieces have lips that kind of, as I was looking for my style and my, my signature look or my thing, the lips emerged and it's like, okay, all right. And then I don't know, at some point I just thought, oh, I'm just going to kiss the backs of all of them. About the body image thing, it reminds me of when I was little, I had a birthmark on my leg that basically spanned my knee up to my hip, which was really large. And my only experience of it was my sisters and my family telling me how beautiful it was. And by being given that message, that's all I ever thought it was. I thought it was what made me unique. Mm -hmm. I believed them. Uh And it never even occurred to me that it would be something to be ashamed of Uh or that somebody might not like me because of that. So, yeah, Yeah. and we do. Yeah, because it's all that we're supposed to look a certain way. And this is what this is what's acceptable. And this is what you want to strive for. I mean, I see an interesting thing in the magazines that I've seen in some of the magazines I have that people give me are older. Some of them are new currently, you know, this deck, um, this this year, the last couple of years, and some are older, older, but and we're slow. The change is slow in terms of women's, you know, what the media projects as a beautiful woman. But I see in the yeah. mag- magazines now so much um, women of of many different um, nationalities and colors, and women yes. of many different body types, and a lot more yeah. full figured women, and a lot more women mm-hmm. with bellies and booties and and thighs and and fleshy women and thin women and and pregnant women and and older models, models that have mm-hmm. gray hair and models that have wrinkles yeah. and and I I see that more now. And, um, and then I try to make sure that I'm projecting that in my work so that I, I use a lot of different diverse images and, um, and that's good to see. I notice that too, when I'm in, um, stores, the mannequins, I notice Mm -hmm. stores now the mannequins are. Yeah, that it reflects reality. They're not just beige flesh tone and they're not just size eight. Yeah. But they're bigger and they're they're a variety of colors and and that's really good. And just on another note that's completely different, but I do I feel good about the idea that I'm repurposing magazines, which 
too about just but about reusing things. You know, it's just yeah. another an, another way of reusing something, so it just isn't completely ending up in the trash. And that's true. Each magazine is like a book of art. I and, know. Um, and so, and then we don't know what to do with mm-hmm. them because, yeah, I totally relate mm-hmm. to that. I've had stacks of magazines that are beautiful. Uh-huh. They have beautiful images. I'm like, I'll use these for a vision board yeah. or something. <laughs> but yeah, we'll send them to uh-huh. me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It was very cute. My nephew, who is a, a grown man, at Christmas this year g- gave me this lovely gift, and I opened it up, and it was some magazines. And the first one I looked at was Do It Yourself Woodworking. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hmm, that's, he's a, he's a contractor. And I thought, is he trying to, you know, get me to get into a new craft? And then the second one was guitar playing and I don't play the guitar. And I, you know, it was Christmas. There was a lot going on, but I was thinking, well, these are really curious subjects. I wonder why he bought me these. And he went, wait, 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 wait. They're for your collages. <laughs> I know you don't play guitar. He said, I want, he said they have really cool images in them and I wanted to buy you some stuff that you might not have for your collages. That's which so is cute. so cute and so thoughtful. I need to crack them open and start. There are women waiting to be discovered, there are. Stephanie. Somewhere in that do-it-yourself woodworking magazine is a woman waiting to be born. Yeah. So how does all this feel looking back? I have amazing gratitude. I have, you know, above all, I have amazing gratitude that number one, I'm still alive and that I've had the men in my life. I had the artist in my life who inspired me, the dear friends, you included, who've, you know, without my friends, you know, the Beatles said I get by with a little help from my friends. And without my friends, I would not be here and I would not be enjoying all of it life has to offer right now I'm very grateful for the care that I've had and the support that I've had to get me through those difficult times Tommy and I crammed a lot into our short five years but again you know and I think uh, unfortunately until we're faced with a a scary life-threatening situation we just get really complacent and we forget how temporary and fragile our lives are And it's not until something shatters that illusion that we start to get really grateful and careful about the privilege and the, you know, the opportunity. And and I'm very aware that there's no guarantee for tomorrow. And all there is is right now, Right. right here. Steve Jobs, in the morning when he would wake up, he would remind himself that he was going to die. Uh huh. Yeah. And I think that that's so true because we try to learn how to live in the present, but I think that that's a step we can take to really live in the present because when you realize this isn't forever. Yes, it does. Well, yeah. And when you're facing a life-threatening illness like cancer, it puts it smashes your face into that, you know. Every day you're you don't even have to imagine it. You're just going, "Oh my god, you know, is this it? Is this it?" And it really, you know, and so the the tragedy of that, the trauma of that becomes the gift if you can embrace that, if you can really incorporate that and keep that in the front of your everyday thinking. Mm. It's a wonderful gift. And you know, and Tommy and I had that simultaneously together. Yeah, you weren't with a partner who you had to explain how to live in the present. Right. We both got it. So we never hesitated to stop and look at the clouds, look at the light in the sky, look at a flower, look at a, hear some music, enjoy art, 
eat some food, taste something that was delicious. Every, you know, cup of tea, whatever was amazing to us. It's a, that's a wonderful feeling to be able to appreciate that because we are all so blessed with so much. Yeah, it's helpful to find happiness through writing gratitude journals. Like if you just can write down five things Mm -hmm. you're grateful for each day. And I think the Mm -hmm. way you're describing living Mm -hmm. with Tommy is living with that all the time. Yeah, it was that. It was that for sure. That's how you should live. I mean, you did it right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, see if I can keep it up. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Yeah, Yeah, it's not like I think I have this all figured out. Right. Let's be clear. This is a disclaimer here. Yeah, let's be clear. I'm just making this up as I go. Right. right. But yeah, so far, so good. We've learned a lot of things. You've been through stuff that a lot of people haven't been through and a lot of people are going through. Any given day, we can be bothered by the smallest, mm-hmm. most mundane things, mm-hmm. you know, that our coffee mm-hmm. didn't turn out to right. with the right flavor, right. Right? right? And then, so knowing these stories, it's like, okay, well, if they can do this, right. they, had, right. they had that going on in their life, then I can deal with my coffee. Right. And the media is, you know, the media is just very good about telling us all the bad things that are going on in the world and all the things that aren't Mm -hmm. working and all the tragedies. And we can become really inundated with fear and worry and, and stress about all the hardships in life. And it's nice to be reminded that there are good things happening and there is healing happening and the Mm -hmm. answer isn't a death sentence. And you can discover new things about yourself in your later years. Yeah, and that there's magic along the way. Mm-hmm. There's magic. There was a story about how you met Tommy, uh, an aspect to it that I remember you telling me that you didn't mention, which was you were in the house and you were like, okay, well, I feel like I'm ready to meet someone and mm-hmm. to have a little bit going on, and but that's not going to happen if I don't leave the house, right? Mm-hmm. right. And and it was just it was just that decision that changed everything yeah. for you because you said they're not going to come knocking on yeah. the door i just was telling that to one of my friends who lost her husband and she's mm-hmm. you know she's depressed and she's been having a hard time finding her new way and i was just talking about that and saying i mean i wish it was as simple as someone's going to knock at the door and say hi i hear you're sad and you're lonely and i'm here to bring and i'm perfect great things yeah. into your life and it's like yeah, yeah no yeah never yeah no that's not going to happen and you have to you have to go out you have to go out into the world and and look for what you want and be a part of it and i saw a great quote one time that said, which I ended up copying and putting on my refrigerator that said, if your ship doesn't come in, swim out to it. Mm. And I thought that was a good image for me of, you know, and back to the art is work. You have to do Mm -hmm. the work. Healing is work and living is work. Relationships are work. And you hopefully it's worth Mm -hmm. the work and the fun and the joy and the success you feel, but you have to work it. And taking action, you know, life will offer you things, but you have to be at the same time working with it and taking action. I remember going through my hard time, which pales in comparison to your story, and telling myself, just take action, just do things, just keep moving. And if you keep moving, life will happen. And it really did. It really 
changed. It's yeah. true. And it's hard to do that when you feel bad, so hard. when you feel fear, when you feel paralyzed. And it's hard to trust that. I mean, I think as you get older, you see how, I think one of the reasons I didn't fall into as dark of depression as I did after my husband died is I saw how that momentum propelled me into a new friends and a new craft and a new life. Yes. And I knew that it was just like, oh, I just have to do that work again. Yeah. You know, like, oh, I, this is going to be so hard. But you do just have to do that. And somebody, I wish I could remember this quote and who said it, but I just read it recently. But it was something about how the luck is just... Yes, luck is preparation meets opportunity. Yes. Yeah. And I thought that that was really mm -hmm. good too because people go, oh, you're so mm -hmm. lucky. You know, you're so lucky. This is like, oh no, I worked mm -hmm. at this. This isn't just yeah. luck. This is work. This is, yeah, this is one foot in front of the other. This is going out. This is movement and action and yeah, opportunity. And, and then stuff staring happens. at a blank piece of paper for how long? You're sitting in there in the garage staring at a blank piece of paper going, what's going to yes. happen? And life is that way. You're like, okay, I've got this uh -huh. blank slate yes. in front of me and I've got to make a collage out of this. <laughs> yeah. And I think everybody, I think everybody's really, you know, after you've lived some years, everybody's a collage. That's true. You know, when you think about what you've been through and what you had to cut away and what you glued on yourself and, and you think about the scars that come from a body well lived. Mm -hmm you know, or, or your birthmarks or your whatever, you know, we're all these pieces of things. And we keep becoming more of that as we get mm -hmm. older and we have more adventures and more experiences and more joys and more losses. And yeah, you no, know, there's something very mystical about the whole collage concept. Yes. To me. And I wish we would be more willing to see people that way because we do so often mm -hmm. want to put them in boxes. Mm -hmm. What boxes do you check? But right. if we were willing to see people as collages, I think we could allow ourselves to be so much more because I think we're trying to fit into mm -hmm. those boxes and so many of us are so much more. Right. So where can people find you? I have a website, stephaniepearsonart.com. I also have um, an Instagram page, which is Stephanie Pearson Art. And then on my website, I also have listed whatever current shows that I have artwork in, which currently, as we speak, I have a piece um, in an online show That's at the so DeYoung Museum in San Francisco. So they have a, a show of Alice Neal's pictures of people her portraits and they did a call to artists for artists to send their pictures of people and I did and so they have this is running in conjunction with the Alice Neal show and it's on the DeYoung website and then I believe it's in the gallery as well and I'm thinking maybe they have a computer set up or a monitor or something where those images are filtering through oh you've got to go yeah. Okay. Well, I will be tagging you so that everyone can find you and I'll put you on my website so everyone can find you too. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's really, you know, this is all just kind of emerging as my story. I've been busy living in it, but now just talking about it sort of takes on a, a shape and a form and, and a story. So thanks for giving me an opportunity to tell my story. I do hope it inspires people and people who are going through tragedy and loss and illness and and retirement and, you know, inspires them. To, to know that there's more. 
there's more it's hard to it's hard to remember that when you're you know dealing with all the responsibilities and challenges of life in the japanese art of kintsugi broken areas of pottery are treated with gold which in the end makes it into something new to admire and in a way gives it an even more beautiful appearance a broken vase doesn't get thrown away because it's suddenly not beautiful Patched together with gold crooked lines, the broken bits are just understood to be how life goes. There are ups, there are downs, things are impermanent. Life inevitably has cracks and breaks us. No one gets through life without pain. But don't let your scars prevent you from finding the full expression of yourself. Your pain doesn't make you only a broken person. Stephanie's story is a story of love, loss, survival, and blossoming. Listening to her journey is a reminder that there is always more. In the same day, there will be pain and pleasure. And by living in the present moment, you gain so much appreciation for the small stuff. Every little moment is enhanced. Anyone who has lost someone in their lives will say things like, if I had only known it was our last chance to have a coffee together or our last walk together, I would have told them everything. Stories like hers remind us to enjoy every moment with our people. Take her story today to also help you remember that life is waiting for you. You are always more than you think you are. If you can find the strength in hard times to take small actions, life offers gifts in the form of people who will redirect or awaken you. It might be the person working at the grocery store. It might be a little kid who says something you needed to hear. Be open, listen to new people, and try new things. Look at it this way. If you and your life are a collage, what's the next piece you're going to add to make it beautiful?